What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Hump Day. I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. And today, I have a bunch of different things I want to talk about in this episode. Obviously, it involves the Celtics, which I will get into in a moment. But I also want to kind of cover a topic in baseball, or two topics in baseball, that have been kind of picking up some steam a little bit. And you'll get to understand what I'm talking about you know, more later on in the episode. But before we go any further, I hope you are having an excellent week thus far as we've hit the midway point throughout the week. And hopefully your Monday and Tuesday were excellent days. The weather is very nice. It is very warm and toasty. It was a little humid, I believe, the other day. But it is feeling like summer as we get closer and closer to June. But though the weather is heating up, the Celtics are not. But before I go into the Celtics, really quick, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. As always, please reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. And if you're watching on YouTube, please leave this video a like, comment down below your thoughts, opinions, anything. And if you're new to the channel or haven't considered yet, please consider subscribing for more epic content, not only the podcast, but the Wheel of Dynasty, history of old New England sports teams. I post, uh, what else do I post? The vlogs, of course, which are doing very well right now. Kim and I are actually going to the Red Sox game tonight against the Atlanta Braves. And we'll be vlogging, of course. And speaking of the Braves, tomorrow I have the Boston Braves history of old New England sports teams dropping. So you'll get to learn more about the old Boston Braves that uh, played in Boston, obviously, but now are the Atlanta Braves for the Major League Baseball. So a little history lesson there as the Boston Braves, Boston Braves, uh, the Atlanta Braves come into town, but you'll be able to watch that on YouTube come tomorrow when it releases. Anyways, Celtics. Do I even want to talk about the Celtics? Not really. <laughs> I'm just going to be quite honest with you. I really don't want to talk about these bum-ass Celtics. First quarter, 40-26 to 26 in favor of the Brooklyn Nets. Not terrible, okay? You're down 14. That's doable, okay? You still have three damn quarters to go. It's not terrible. Then you lose the second quarter by 10 points, 31-21. Then you're down halftime by 24 and just call it a wrap at that point. Holy smokes, this game was over at halftime. It's disgusting and terrible. And I've said this from the beginning of the series, and I said it after game one. If the Celtics cannot steal a game in Brooklyn, it is over. It's a wrap. The series is over. You have to steal home court advantage, and you weren't able to do so. So let's just go over some notable players. Everyone on the team was able to get some playing minutes in this game because why the hell not? You got freaking torched. Uh, Evan Fournier, 27 minutes, 16 points. Tatum, 21 minutes and only 9 points. He left the game with 8 minutes and 48 seconds to go in the third quarter due to getting poked in the eye. And it's he's okay. And he was the only reason why he wasn't able to come back to the game is because he wasn't able to readjust to the bright lighting at you know on the basketball court with you know the fans and just the scoreboard and obviously the lights to light up the arena. Also, his eye was swollen. It was difficult to see. But it was good to see that he wanted to come out there and play anyways. The doctor said no. So, obviously, health is most prevalent in any situation. And Tatum was not able to return. But I do want to point out that 9 points in 21 minutes of, I don't know, 2 plus quarters of of basketball, 2 and a quarter, 2 and a quarter of a quarter of, of play, you only got nine points, dude, in a game that you had to win. You had to win this game. Not just because I think that the Celtics needed to win one of two games in Brooklyn. But you cannot go down 2-0. 2-0 is very difficult to come back from in any sport. Baseball, hockey, or basketball. 2-0 is very difficult to come back from. You have to win the next four of six, uh, sorry, four of five games. You can only uh, allow the other team to win one more game, and you have to win four. That's tough. Not just against the Brooklyn Nets, but just against anybody in general. So to see him have a porous performance in a game that was much needed is a little disappointing. Obviously, that's well before the eye injury. Him, If he did come back or if he didn't get poked in the eye, nothing would have changed. 
he probably would have dropped 20 points and maybe it would have been a, uh, I don't know, a 15-point affair. But at that point, come the fourth quarter, the Brooklyn Nets weren't even trying, so they just had their scrubs in, and it wouldn't have really mattered. Anyways, it would have been a far or a huge 15-point loss, if you know what I mean. Tristan Thompson, double-double, uh, 15 points, 11 rebounds in 25 minutes. Nice to see that. Marcus Smart, 32 minutes. He uh, got 19 points, 6 assists, and 3 boards. Kemba Walker, 17 points, 7 assists, and 30 minutes. Aaron Neesmith, no points in 19 minutes. He went 0 for 5 from the field. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, Rob Williams, the Time Lord, 8.6 rebounds in 17 minutes. And Romeo Langford, 4 points in 18 minutes. And I'm not going to go over the rest because it doesn't really matter. Oh, but one person I do want to kind of point out, Jabari Parker, who had a nice game one. A very I talked highly about him after his game one performance. And he comes out for only 6 minutes and getting 2 points. I um I don't really know why he didn't get you know more minutes in this game. You know I didn't watch the game because I don't believe in the Celtics this year. And I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be straight up with you. I don't believe in the Celtics. I think it's a waste of time because they didn't perform in the regular season. They didn't put in the effort. So why should I put in the effort now? I do obviously watch the highlights, catch myself up, so I can give you my honest unbiased and true breakdown reaction analysis of these games but why Jabari Parker only say I mean unless he, there was an injury of something that I'm not aware of but not that he would have been the difference maker but if you give him 20 25 minutes and then Tatum doesn't get hurt are we looking at a 22 point deficit or a 22 point loss I don't know I don't know you still probably would have lost this game regardless but at least make it respectable so you have something to kind of work off of come Game 3 back in Boston, which is going to be Friday the 28th. So they have two days off, which I hate that. Just game off, game off, game off. They do that in hockey. Every once in a while, you'll get a back-to-back in hockey during the playoffs. I mean, for the first round against the Washington Capitals, if there was a game 6 and 7, those were would have been back-to-back. Very interesting. But ah, Friday, May 28th, 8.30 p.m. tip in Boston. You're just going to have to see. I mean, I know there's some scheduling conflicts between, like, you know, a lot of teams, I've mentioned this before, a lot of teams share the same arena for both basketball and hockey, and I understand that the scheduling may kind of alter that because, say, the Celtics are playing at home at 8.30, and the Bruins are also supposed to be home. Well, are they going to give the Bruins the matinee game, or are they just going to push them to the next day? So there are some scheduling conflicts to be, you know, that cause for adjustments. I get that. But the Bruins aren't playing right now because they took care of business. And I, I, I just hate how basketball does it. They, they, they're notorious for having multiple days off during during a series for literally no freaking reason at all. But if there is a... Oh, yeah. If there is, you know, game five, six, seven, they're all two days apart. Uh, Friday, then Sunday, then Tuesday, then Thursday, then Saturday. So something to look forward to. I... Do I even want to give, you know, three things to potentially look for come the next game? I I really don't want to because this team isn't that good. Maybe I'll save it. Maybe I'll feel different about it come Friday's episode of Merce Boston Sports Talk. And maybe I will kind of have a better, fresher mindset about the Celtics where I can actually think. I don't want to say think clearly because I'm not incoherent, but just like. This is just depressing. You are the Boston Celtics, if not the most historic franchise. Oh, no. You are the most historic, if not the second most historic franchise. Some could argue the Lakers, respectively so, in the NBA. You have two up-and-coming stars, superstars, if you want to call them. You have one of the better head coaches in this league, which I will go into Brad Stevens in a second. And you finish seventh. In your in your conference, thirty six and thirty six, going five hundred, in a COVID shortened season where there's only seventy two games played. That's disgusting. You're thirteen games back of first place. I don't expect you to win. I don't expect you to get first place every damn year. That that that's repulsive. Second, third, fourth, even. I mean, come on. It's just. I mean, the Knicks have a great young core. They got the four seed. All the props to them. Hawks, great young core. They got the five seed. 
nothing you can do about either of them. But both of them are well ahead of schedule in their rebuild, retooling, you know, whatever you want to call it. Miami Heat had a down year as well, but they were still able to finish 40 and 32 this year. Only nine games back, and then you're 36 and 36, just twiddling your thumbs. Ooh. It's just disgusting. But I did mention Brad Stevens, and I kind of want to go into that just a little bit for a second because there is a lot of people out there that I, li- I be listening on the radio, sports radio. And I hear a lot of people saying that they want um, Brad Stevens gone. They want him gone. And I can understand why. I also don't understand why. Because it's very hard to find good coaching in the NBA. Now, coaching in the National Basketball Association is oftentimes referred to as very easy. Because you have superstars that can just do it. Look at LeBron James. Look at Kawhi Leonard. Look at Steph Curry. Like They can just coach themselves, essentially, because they're so good at the game. So what is a coach really good for? Well, you have one of the best coaches, if not the best coach, in the NBA history, in Greg Popovich and his Spurs, who finished 10th in the play-in game. They finished 33-39, and 39, 19 games back out of um, first place, and they didn't make the playoffs. Well, for a long period of time, those Spurs were absolutely dynamic. Their players just aged, got old. And they weren't really able to bounce back all too well. That's not his fault. It's just, I mean, they had their run, okay? But going back to the Celtics, when you had Doc Rivers as your head coach, you had the big three. And obviously, Doc Rivers was here before the big three. Uh, Let me just... Coaching... uh, Record. Okay, because I I didn't pull his up first, and I probably should have. Doc Rivers, as a head coach, he spent some time with Orlando... So be it, whatever. I'm not going to count that. In his time with Boston, he spent nine years coaching the Boston Celtics. His first year was in 2004, 2005. They finished 45 and 37. 2005, 2006, they finished 33 and 49. 2006, 2007, they finished 24 and 58. That's when they had the fifth overall pick in the draft. They drafted Jeff Green, traded him over to the Supersonics for Ray Allen. You also made that KG trade as well. Okay. Okay, now we got something cooking, right? Then the era of the big three. You went 66 and 16, 62 and 60, 50 and 32, 56 and 26. Lockout shortened season, you went 39 and 27. And then his final year, 41 and 40. After that, you made the trade to acquire ample amount of first round picks from the Brooklyn Nets as you sent away Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in that year before that obviously Ray Allen went to Miami but even when you were 41 and 40 you still finished third (laughs) uh you still finished third you lost I believe in the first round but you know it is what it is it doesn't really matter I'm not what I'm talking about here he was the coach to lead that team be well those teams the big three Paul Pierce Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett. He was the coach for that job. He had experience. He had suffered, he endured some success, small success in Orlando. He also suffered miserably in Orlando as well, obviously not being that great of a team. In addition, he suffered, you know, in Boston for a little bit with a uh, couple struggling seasons. But he was still with, you know, the program. He still was a great philosopher he still knew his x's and o's he could relate and get through to the players obviously because he was a former player in this league now you have brad stevens on on your coaching oh i guess as your coach and should have brought this up but i didn't and i don't know why brad stevens coaching record in his eight seasons with the boston celtics he has finished 25 and 57 which is the first year of that rebuild then you go 40 and 42 48 and 34, 53 and 29, 55 and 27, 49 and 33, 48 and 24 in 2019, 2020. And then you go 36 and 36 this past year. Well, well, very good. Very good. Yes, it is a very good and impressive coaching uh, record, he is 354 and 282 with a 0.557 winning percentage. 
excellent, super solid. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, good coach. Knows his X and knows very well. He's a smart coach. He's a young coach, so he can kind of relate to them in age. Obviously, he's a little bit older now. But we brought him in to help with the rebuild of the Celtics after the, after Doc Rivers left, after the big three left. He was the guy for that job. Doc Rivers was the guy for that job when we needed to win now. Brad Stevens was the guy for when we needed to rebuild, you know, start from the bottom, develop the young players, and come through the league that way. Now, we did suffer some early success, uh, endured some early success, which kind of sped up the process. Come year three, you're 48 and 34, and no one expected it. That's when you were fun because no one expected you to be this good this early when you have Isaiah Thomas and then you have you know Jalen Brown kind of creeping in the next year and then the year after that you get Jason Tatum and you got Jay Crowder, Kelly Olynyk, Avery Bradley. They're all just balling out for you. You don't expect that. That's why they were fun. You had low expectations. If not, you had no expectations and then you were successful. But now you have an immense amount of expectations because you have been good for a few years now. The Celtics or just Boston in general is known for winning championships. So if it's not a championship, it's an L season. Like last year, you made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, lost in Game 7 to the Miami Heat. That season is a failure. That is a type of expectation that we expect as Boston sports fan. Is that not right? And now that we are slipping a little bit, we went 49-33, 48-24, and then 36-36. and has Brad Stevens lost kind of control? This is a the NBA is a players' league. The players hold so much power, whether it's how many minutes they play, what team they play for, their contract, them getting traded, injury. It's just a players' league. It's kind of frustrating and disgusting, and it's a topic for another day. But the reason why I'm talking about Doc Rivers, Brad Stevens, and one last thing about Doc Rivers is. He left, or I guess the Celtics traded him to the Los Angeles Clippers because he wasn't the man for the job. He wasn't the man to rebuild the Celtics. The Los Angeles Clippers at that time were a team that was ready to take the next step. Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, um, Chris Paul. He was the man for that job to lead them to the playoffs, You know, make a playoff run. Obviously, no success with the Clippers. But, I mean... 57 and 25 in his first year in 2013 2014. 56 and 26, 53 and 29, 51 and 31. There's consistency there. And then obviously, towards the end, started to slip, started to get closer to a 500 team. And then they just were fed up with it and it was time for him to go. It was just that was it. Okay. He wasn't the man for the job anymore. They wanted someone different. The end of an era out there in Los Angeles. It is what it is. Okay. But I want to bring someone up, someone you may may have heard of or may not have heard of in a while, and that's Mark Jackson, the former coach of the Golden State Warriors. Now, why am I bringing up Mark Jackson? You see him on TV, you know, he knows his stuff, former player, decent, spent three years in the league as a coach. Okay, he has a career record of 121 and 109, sporting a .526 winning percentage. Say what you want about that. He was the coach before Steve Kerr for the Warriors. And in Mark Jackson's three-year coaching career with the Warriors, starting in 2011-2012, he went 23-43. and 43. Sucked. But they sucked at that time. The Warriors... Next year, 2012-2013, they went 47-35. and Okay. Okay. Then the following year, they went 51-31. and In 2013-2014. Now, in, what was it, 2012-2012, they made the playoffs as the sixth seed. They won in the first round against the Denver Nuggets, and they lost in the conference semis to the Spurs. Obviously, the Spurs went on to the finals, whatever. We all know that story. The following year, they finished sixth again with a 51-31 and 31 record. Impressive. Impressive. 
finished sixth, and they lost in the first round to Doc Rivers Clippers, losing in Game 7 of that series. They had one year of sucking, and then they had some immediate success. For that team, finishing sixth both years, winning one series, losing in the next round, and the following year losing in the first round, that is success because that team was rebuilding. Prior to that, in 2011-12, 13. 2010-2011, 12. The year before, 13th. Uh, the year before that, 10th, 9th. So it's like, they sucked. And then like 2006, you know, 2007, they were 8th. And then every year before that, they were just at the bottom of the barrel in the Western Conference. 12, 12, 12, 11, 14, 14, 13. I'm not going to go on to the 90s, but you get the point. You, you can see the point now. Mark Jackson was the Warriors' Brad Stevens. Mark Jackson was brought in to help rebuild this team and find some long-term success. Brad Stevens was brought in to help rebuild this team and find long-term success. Both coaches found immediate success with their respective teams. Mark Jackson finishing sixth place in the Western Conference the last two years of his three-year stint with the Warriors. And then Brad Stevens obviously has been in the playoffs ever since uh, 2014-2015, his second year. The difference between Mark Jackson and Brad Stevens is that, oh, that's the wrong, wrong page, is that the Warriors saw the potential, or I should say the Warriors ownership, management, whatever, saw the potential in this team, in their team. They had Steph Curry, who was up and coming, who just uh, came off his first year as an all-star. They had Klay Thompson, who was starting to come into his own, who hadn't been an all-star yet, but would be the following season. Draymond Green, say what you want, but he was also up and coming. And they looked at Mark Jackson and said, you're not the guy anymore. We are ready to contend right now for a championship, or at least a deep playoff run. And Mark Jackson wasn't brought in for that. He was brought in to help rebuild and generate a long, good future. But they were able to take advantage of the early success that they were enduring, the high level of play from Steph Curry, the high level play of Klay Thompson, to push their chips forward to go out and make a playoff run. So what they did is they fired Mark Jackson, who was... A decently good coach. A lot of people refer and think that he still should still get a coaching job, and I'm on board with that. I mean, 47 and 35 in year two, and then 51 and 31 in year three. 51 win season, and he's getting fired. I honestly think he only got fired because he wasn't the guy for the job anymore. Now, Brad Stevens brought in for the same thing brought in to help rebuild and generate long-term success. And have we had long-term success? No. Now, do I think Brad Stevens should have been fired, say, maybe after the 2017-2018 season when you finished 55-27, and the best record in the Brad Stevens era, when you made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, lost a Game 7 to LeBron James and the Cavaliers in Jason Tatum's rookie season? I mean... Would that have been the time to do so? I mean, when you're looking at the record, 55 wins, you say no. But if you look at the formula that the Warriors went with, you say yes. You could even argue that the year before he should have been fired. But Brad Stevens, young coach, knows the X's and O's. You know, a lot of the players like him. The fans like him. And has gone to the point where it's like we have flatlined and we are declining. And they are. Ever since that 55-win 2017-18 season, 49 wins, 48 wins, 36 wins. Now, the Warriors were able to go from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr. No one knew Steve Kerr was going to be this great of a head coach, but since we're talking about him, the Warriors, since Steve Kerr's first year as coach in 2014-15, they have finished in the Western Conference first, winning the finals. Next year, first, losing the finals to the Cavaliers in Game 7, but had 73 wins, breaking the record... Uh, single season win record following year first winning the finals following year after that in 2017-18 they finished second but they still won the finals 2018-2019 they finished first lost in the finals to the Raptors 
Then the year after that, 15th and then 9th. But that's when, you know, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson all got injured. So, you know, would they still be, you know, top of the class in the Western Conference if they didn't get injured? Probably. I mean, Steph Curry alone, they were able to kind of, you know, they made the playing game and then ended up losing. But are they going to fire Steve Kerr? No, because they can still see themselves as an immediate success in the Western Conference. Now, there's no Steve Kerr laying around for the Celtics to fire Brad Stevens and hire. I mean, there's really, I don't know what the coaching pool looks like, you know, for available candidates. I guess Mark Jackson, I guess, but he's not the guy for the job. It's frustrating to see the Celtics are just running in place. And I don't know what they should do yet. I I like Brad Stevens, but if he's not the guy for the job, then get him out because we're just wasting years of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, we're just wasting potential years that the Celtics could be making noise in the playoffs. And they have been making noise. But this year is not it. This year is not it. And Danny Ainge needs to sit down, look at the roster, see what the problem is, bring in good veterans to help the young guys, bring in a third star, potentially trade Kemba if you have to, because Tatum's big contract is going to kick in next season. Jalen Brown's contract's already kicking in. Kemba Walker's contract is going into his third year of four. That's kicking in, or that's been kicked in. You have a lot of decisions to make. You know, rumors of Marcus Smart being traded. This is a huge offseason for the Celtics. Once they're eliminated, they have a lot of work to be done this offseason. And I will leave my Celtics. I don't think it was so much a rant. It was just a discussion, right? But I will leave it off there and... Let's move on. So, obviously, I think this at this point, I think the Brooklyn Nets will sweep the Celtics. I mean, there's really no hope in point in hoping for the Celtics at this point. Um, great season. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about it on Friday's episode. Maybe I'll have a change of heart. Maybe something will come up. But we will have to wait and see. So, the next topic I wanted to talk to you about, um, one of them is referring about baseball. And baseball is uh, a fantastic sport. We all love it, right? A lot of us do, at least. And there's been something that has been kind of surfaced in the past couple of days, couple of weeks, whatever. And that is the uh, possibility of the Oakland Athletics relocating. Now, we haven't seen a relocation in Major League Baseball since the Montreal Expos left to become the Washington Nationals at the end of the 2004 season, starting as the Nationals in the 2005 season. And I bring that up because I think this is something very interesting to talk about. And uh, let's see, when was it? It was a few weeks ago. Was it a few weeks ago? Um, I made a video about why Major League Baseball needs expansion. Yes, I released it on April 25th, 2021. I'll leave a link to it down below. But I talked about potential teams that needed to relocate. But the whole purpose of that video was talking about baseball expanding. How going from 31 maybe to 32 or just jumping to 32 teams would help baseball go from what is perceived as a dying sport due to the slow game, not being able to retain fans or not being able to bring in new fans. I talked about why MLB needs to expand to a bunch of different locations. Like I said, I also talked about potential teams that could relocate and the Oakland Oakland Athletics were one of them because of the poor field that they have. Players, man, uh, players, managers, and you know, the fans just want a whole new stadium. The stadium is a football field that has, you know, it was a dual-purpose field. But now that the Raiders are gone to Las Vegas, they just need something new. The field sucks because it's a football stadium, and it's not good. It's like the sixth oldest stadium in baseball, but it's not like one of those historic fields. It's not Fenway. It's not Wrigley. It's not you know Dodger Stadium. So. I really find this interesting because I did talk about it and it's also been something much more noteworthy as of late because it's starting to pick up steam now. It's really starting to pick up steam. So mm, oh, uh, athleticsnation.com reported Las Vegas, Portland will receive visits as Oakland A's explore relocation options. This is an article from May 24th. So a couple days ago by Alex Hall and it states the Oakland A's proposed project to build a new ballpark at Howard Terminal is not moving as quickly as they want, so the team has officially threatened to explore relocation to another city. 
Now, they've been proposing to the city of Oakland to help build a new stadium on the oceanfront, beautiful stadium that, you know, has like malls and hotels to really make it a destination in downtown Oakland. Love the idea. City of Oakland doesn't want to raise taxes. They don't want to pay a lot of money for it. And they just seem like they just don't want it. I mean, I'm sure they want the A's there, but they want the A's there on their terms, it seems like. So let me keep going into the article. That doesn't mean the A's are definitely leaving, but the concept is at least back on the table after a few years of being rooted in Oakland. The natural next question is where else they might go if they were to end up moving. The team president, Dave Cavell, said at the time of the announcement that they had already been contacted by five potential markets, but didn't specify which ones. Now there are two official entries on the list of candidates. The A's are visiting Las Vegas this week to begin discussions, uh, making it the first city they'll travel to check out. Next month, they'll head to Portland on a fact-finding mission. Both of those cities are cities that I mentioned in my video. I, I will have the video. Like I said, I will leave the link down below. And I mentioned Portland. I mentioned Las Vegas. I mentioned Nashville. I mentioned Montreal again because a team could go there. I mentioned Vancouver. And there's a ton of reasons why that these locations would work great. And I'm actually going to play you a snippet from that video right now just to kind of really summarize and just so you can fully understand where I'm coming from with this whole relocation thing for the A's. And I gave these locations not just for the A's because I also gave a bunch of other teams, like five, six teams that could potentially relocate themselves. But I won't go into that now. I'll let you watch the video to find out. So here's that snippet of me in my MLB needing expansion video talking about potential relocation cities. Where could we potentially see these expansion teams? Well, I've come up with a list of eight locations that I think would be strong fits for potential MLB expansion teams. And those cities are as followed. Montreal, Nashville, Tennessee, Vancouver, Las Vegas, Norfolk, Portland, Oklahoma City, and Mexico City. I think Montreal, because they had the Expos at one time, the only reason why they left is because of ownership. When he bought the team, they said he wasn't going to leave Montreal. A couple years later, the paperwork is passed on and they're going to move to Washington. Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville is a growing hub here in America. Nashville is a popular spot for a lot of different reasons. Country, the food down there, the sports teams that they currently have. I think Nashville would be a really good addition to that city and that region of the country. Vancouver, Canada. We've seen Vancouver Canucks. We've seen the Vancouver Grizzlies been there before, although they're now in Memphis. However, I think Vancouver would give a great addition to not only Canada, but just that area of the continent. It would give the Mariners a good little rival right there, and it would also introduce another Canada team to help bolster baseball's presence in Canada along with Toronto as Vancouver is on the opposite side of Canada, whereas Toronto is relatively on the eastern coast. Las Vegas. Las Vegas is growing right before our eyes. Uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights were just introduced to the NHL in 2017, I believe. The Las Vegas Raiders just had their first inaugural season in Las Vegas this past year. Vegas is growing as not just a gambling and you know a casino city where you go spend money, have a good time. It is actually trying to grow as a spot, as a hub that's bigger and better than just that. I think adding Las Vegas uh, to your map of teams would be a great addition for baseball as it would drive up the Vegas market and people would be much more interested in that team because of the flock of teams that are already there plus the current state of Vegas which is in a very good spot. Norfolk, Virginia. I like this one because the Expos were actually rumored to go to Norfolk, Virginia before it eventually moved over to Washington. I think for Norfolk, Virginia may be a little too close to um, Washington but you know, it gives it a little interesting twist to it because in the DMV area, there's only the Nationals or any Washington sports team, really, until you go to, like, Philly or if you go down to Carolina where you find some sports teams. I think Norfolk, Virginia will kind of give the DMV area 
or at least Virginia itself, a good sports team that they can root for instead of having to outreach and pick one of their own. Portland, Oregon is a good one because I personally like this one as it would give the Seattle Mariners a good little rival right there on the West Coast. You have the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, there's a soccer team in Portland, a uh, WNBA team in Portland, I believe. So Portland is trying to also grow as a destination as a city as well on the western coastline of the country obviously with california right below it and seattle right above it it has a lot of good flexibility and it would allow those fans in portland maybe even idaho and the surrounding states as well to actually root for a team instead of having to pick an outreach for one just like norfolk virginia and that area has to do with their fans oklahoma city oklahoma city is or maybe was on the rise when they got the Thunder a, a little over 10 years ago. But nowadays, it's just really, I mean, it's a good spot, but all they have is the Thunder, so it could work, and there's really nothing in that area besides maybe Missouri, where the Cardinals and the Royals are, or if you look to Texas, where the Rangers and the Astros are, it would kind of give a good little balance right there, but I think this is low on the list, and then even lower on the list, but could still be an interesting location is Mexico City and I say this because it would help baseball expand into another country where it would where baseball has never been before in Mexico I think it'd be a really good addition to Major League Baseball because it would help expand its viewership its fan base to another country everyone from Mexico who likes baseball would surround and root and support for that team could it be a little uh, problematic you know with borders and such Possibly, but you know we've seen it work before, especially with you know international teams, especially around soccer, where they kind of bounce from country to country all the time. I think it could absolutely work. I know Puerto Rico has been kind of rumored to have a sports team, whether it's the Tampa Bay Rays relocating or just a brand new team going there in general. I would like to see Puerto Rico as well get another team, as people down in that area will just kind of surround and root for that team. And I think that's what baseball needs to kind of focus on is what areas can support a baseball team. And I think not just financially, but in terms of support, you need to look at the fan base that would be around in those certain areas. So I think all of those potential possible cities could be good fits for Major League Baseball, whether it's one team or two teams expanding or maybe even a relocation of a team. So going back to the article Let's keep moving. Neither of those surprising suitors, as they've been long been reported as potential uh, possibilities for future MLB franchises. The A's current AAA affiliate is the Las Vegas Aviators, and the NFL's Raiders just moved from Oakland to Vegas. So I guess the Oakland Athletics going to Vegas would uh, make a lot of sense. You know, Raiders go from Oakland to Vegas, and then the A's go. Anyways. On the home front here in Oakland, three city council members responded to the A's relocation threat with a letter to MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred on May 14th. The council members uh, reaffirmed their commitment to working with the A's in good faith on the Howard Terminal project, defended that discussions had been ongoing and on track the whole time, disagreed with the conclusion that the current Coliseum site is definitely unviable, and bristled at the league's relocation threat. And then there's a picture of the whole, whole letter. The following sentence is emphasized, quote, can you confirm definitely that if the council were to take such a vote before summer recess for a term sheet regarding the A's that you would prohibit any action to seek or pursue relocation during those next steps, end quote. Kaplan also submitted a request for the council to take a vote on the term sheet on July 20th. Holding a vote by that date before the council adjourns for summer recess is the primary point in the A's latest aggression push in the media. If you've seen pictures, videos, or looked at, um, it w well, it was O.Co. Coliseum. I don't even know what the hell it's called now. Oakland Athletics Home Field. I don't even know what it's called. What is it called? Um, Ring Central Coliseum. Okay, cool, sure. Ring Central Coliseum, whatever the hell it's called now. If you looked at images, you looked at photos, you've watched athletics games, you can tell that that team or that that stadium is not good for baseball. The foul territory on the first and the third base sign side are massive. Massive. The outfield is fine. I mean, it's a regular outfield, but if you look 
up into dead center, you see more bleachers that are empty. And if you look, there are tarps on them. And you'll see that there's tarps on them because those are meant for what were the Raiders games. Because obviously in football, you know, 60, 70,000, 80,000 fans, not uncommon. And that stadium can hold that many people. But in baseball, you're not generally going to have 60, 70, 80,000 people at a baseball game, right? Not even in the playoffs. So that whole center field thing was like constructed with like press box, more seating, all that. And it blocks a beautiful scenic area of the city of Oakland. I believe it's the bay that's out there. San Francisco Bay, I believe, is out there. And they blocked it off in like the 80s or something, really killing that whole view and really made it a nice looking stadium. Uh, just like, I mean, I was watching the, the A's game last night on MLB.tv and there was just no fans in attendance. Now, I understand that, you know, limited capacity, you, a lot of teams are only at, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25%. Some stadiums are at 100% with the, the nation opening up now. But my God, there was nobody. I would be surprised. I'm, I'm being dead honest. I'm surprised if there was... 3,000 fans. I'm not even kidding. And speaking of fan attendance, let's see. Um, really quickly, they were at 20%, I believe, for that game. Or they have been at 20%. I'm just trying to find the number. Yeah, they've been at 20% in Oakland. So obviously, a lot like, you know, Fenway Park was at like 12 and then it moved up to like 25 or whatever. Now it's going up to 100 come Friday. But Oakland was at 20%. Okay, fine, whatever. But like I said, uh, there was maybe 2,000 people. How many people can Ring Central have? Okay, so the stadium can hold 63,132 people. That's a, big, that's a football field. 20% of that is 12,188. And like I mentioned, I am surprised if there is more than 2,000 people in that game that I was watching last night. And speaking of attendance really quickly, since we're talking about it, in from 2009 to 2019, they have had, in order from 2009, 17,000, 17,500, 18,000, 20, almost 21,000, 22,000, 25,000, 22,000, 19,000, 18,500, 19,500, 20,500, going to end of 2019 being the last full regular season obviously because COVID shortened 2020 that's not even half that's like a third of what the stadium can hold and like I mentioned in center field there's a big section that is all tarped off because it's a football stadium and they have the retired numbers on it whatever makes it look nice but does it really matter no it's just this team is good I mean they're 28 and 22 right now they're um, first in the American League West. They're a game up on the Astros. They have the fourth, fifth best record in the American League behind the Rays, Red Sox, Yankees, and the White Sox. And over history, they've been a relatively good team. Last year, they finished first in the division, and I'm going to work my way back, uh, I don't know, until 2000. All right, so from 2020, they finished first, and I will keep going backwards order until 2000, just so we're clear. 2020, first, 19, second, 18, second, 17, fifth, 16, fifth, 15, fifth, 14, second, uh, 13, first, 12, first, 11, third, 10, second, 9, fourth, 8, third, 7, third, 6, first, 5, second, 4, second, 3, first, 2, first, 1, second, 2000, first. And then just for the record, 1999, they finished second. They have been a relatively really good team. This century. And their attendance does not match that. And a team that is that good sporting such a bad attendance that just doesn't work in terms of generating success. It just doesn't work. And I could say the same thing about the Tampa Bay Rays when they were the Devil Rays. They sucked the bottom of the barrel, no attendance. It was basically Fenway South. Then they become the Rays, you know, they make the World Series, then they're a relatively good team making the playoffs and all that good stuff. Making it to the World Series again last year. But Tropicana uh, Field is also garbage. And that's a whole conversation for another day that I'm not going to go into. But relocation is a really good idea. And I think the A's are on top of that list of potential teams to relocate. 
it just it will help generate more fans. You'll obviously lose fans, you know, from the city of Oakland, but they still have the San Francisco Giants right across the bay. I don't know how strong that rivalry is, so they may be like, "Oh, the A's, oh no, 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 thanks." But wherever this team goes, will so San, uh, California has five baseball teams. That's you know, big state, yes, but there's two in LA. There's two in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then you got the Padres down, you know, Southern California. Five teams. You take one of them and put them in Las Vegas, it will help drive that market because that city's on a rise. Got a hockey team a few years ago. Got the Raiders this year. Could potentially get the Athletics this year. Making it more of not just a gambling, you know, a strip club city. It's making it an actual destination in America, in like Western America that's not L.A., Portland would be a great one. They got the Trailblazers. They got the the Portland Timbers, the soccer team. I think they also have a WNBA team too. I'm not too sure. But putting them in Portland would give the Mariners a, a good little rival right there that's close by because besides the athletics, there's really no one close to the Seattle Mariners. Nobody. I mean, because they're in Washington, out in Seattle, all by themselves. That's why I also mentioned Vancouver is a good one because it would be right there for the Seattle Mariners to be rivals with. And it would also help bring in people from Western Canada. Now, when you had the Blue Jays and the Expos, Toronto and Montreal are in Eastern Canada, kind of completely ignoring Western Canada to probably just bandwagon either one of those two Canadian teams or the Mariners. But if you put a team in Western Canada, it would help bring in those people to bandwagon and just really rally around that team. You would get the entirety of Western Canada, and you would still have those fans that still love the Oakland Athletics to be fans of. You would help bring up sales. I guarantee you every game for that season will be sold out wherever they go. Shirts, jerseys, uh, you know, packages, events. It would just be absolute cluster storm of revenue. Like, I mean, me personally, I would probably get like a t-shirt or something of, you know, the Vancouver Athletics or the, you know, the Vegas Athletics or whatever they, you know, come to be or wherever. So it, there's just so much potential there. You would bring in maybe fans that are like on the edge of, you know, rooting for a team. You know, here's this new team. I'm a new fan. Maybe why not? People in that area of America might even want to root for them. You know, maybe they don't like the Mariners or, you know, they, they just don't like them. And they're like, you know, there's no one else out here, so screw it. But, you know, putting a team in Western Canada or in Vegas, Portland, would significantly help. I do think... That it needs to be in west the western side of North America. I know I gave uh, uh, Puerto Rico. I know I gave Mexico City. I know I gave Montreal, Nashville. But I do think that western, you know, whether it's America or Western Canada, is the ideal spot for it as well. So, ah, I think the time for the A's in Oakland is limited. I think it's coming up. Just a matter of when and where. But that is my massive, massive take on this whole uh oakland athletics relocation possibility that has resurfaced here in a, in the recent couple of days something that i'm a big fan of and something that i'm really rooting for because i just think it brings a little spice to it i mean baseball is kind of plateaued and i think generally this year it's been doing very good but i just think people were you know they were deprived of baseball last year so they're really looking forward to it this year which is fine what about next year the pace of uh the pace of play is still very slow. And I think having a team relocate would kind of give it a little juice, a little spruce of energy. And that's also kind of why I talked about expansion as well, is because it would help bring in fans from across, you know, wherever, whether, you know, a expansion team goes to Vegas, Portland, Montreal, Vancouver, that area would, you know, rally together for that team. You'd bring in new fans and you'd bring in sales and baseball would kind of, you know, go back on the upwards trend. But that's everything that I need to talk about in terms of MLB expansion. And really quickly, one thing I want to talk about, I did play you a snippet of my MLB expansion video and you know, we're talking about the A's relocation and the potential options. I gave you some good options here and I really hope that you do listen to that, uh, watch that video on YouTube. It's a really good one, it's rather long, but it's really, really good and very informational. I go into a lot of statistical data and what would work, why it would work, and how it would work. But I do want to mention one thing. When I was a sophomore in undergrad college at Springfield College, me and a classmate of mine made a project. We developed a project for one of our classes, 
and we decided to talk about why the NHL should expand to 32 teams. Because at the time, the, uh, the Vegas Raiders just became the 31st team. I think they were starting to play that year or the year after they were going to start play. And we come up with a bunch of options and literally the same mindset. Where would a good hockey team go? It could go in Portland. It could go, and they already have one in Vancouver. Obviously, they just got one in um, Vegas. Eastern America is very cluttered, so we're looking out west. Seattle, they got a good market. They got baseball. They got football. They have soccer, I believe. They don't have basketball. They did have basketball, and they're still um, arguing and trying to persuade to get a basketball team. They're still lobbying for the Supersonics to return. But Seattle used to have a hockey franchise to, uh, out there, a couple, several hockey franchises out there. So I think that that was a perfect fit. A few years later, um, the classmate and I still joke about it. Uh, a couple years ago, they announced that the uh, that Seattle will get a the 32nd NHL franchise organization, and the name would be later announced. We didn't guess the name, but still, this kid and I, we made a whole project about you know Seattle getting a 32nd. The getting this 32nd NHL franchise and it actually came to fruition. So I'm hoping that my MLB expansion relocation video, one way or another, something of that comes to fruition as well. Cause then I can boast a two for two record in the most recent expansions, relocations, whatever in pro sports. But really quickly, while we're talking about major league baseball, I don't want to go too much into it because it's still very early. We're still two months away from the trade deadline. But yes, the trade deadline is something that we need to be cognizant of. We are at the end of May. I'm recording and this is going to be published on May 26th. And the Major League trade, Major League Baseball trade deadline is July 31st. So what potential names could we see on the move? Well, Trevor Story, biggest one potentially on the market. Rockies tra- uh, traded Nolan Arenado earlier this year or i forget when the date was but they trade him to the cardinals so they're officially rebuilding trevor story arguably one of the best shortstops in baseball you could go Corey seager you could go bogart you could go trey turner whatever but i think trevor story is right up there he could be on the move he's in his last year of his deal he's going to be a free agent so could we see the rockies move him if not would they resign him who knows chris bryant he's 29 years old and he's also up at the end of this year as well. What could we see the Cubs do? Obviously, the Cubs are still a fairly good team, but are they going to want to bring him back? They are second currently in the NL Central, only a half game back behind the Cardinals. Are they going to want to pay him? I mean, they do have a good minor league system, so they could probably easily replace him, but it's going to be hard to replace a guy like Chris Bryant, right? Let's be honest. Next person, Max Scherzer. The Nationals. He's in his last year of a seven-year contract that he signed, leaving Detroit to go to D.C., and he is excellent, excellent. He is uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball right now, and he has been for a long time. Cy Young Award winner, twenty strikeout game, uh, back-to-back Cy Young. Excuse me, one you know World Series title with the Nationals, big part of that in 2019. He has he's 36 years old. He has a 2.33 ERA with a .78 WHIP in seven starts this year. Could we see him on the move potentially? Joey Gallo of the Texas Rangers this is an interesting one, which I don't really see happening because he's still very, uh, fairly young. He still has one more year of arbitration, and he's just an absolute powerhouse, dude. And the Rangers do suck, and he could be a nice piece to help build towards something. And for someone who's just like you know home run or bust kind of guy. He's versatile. Yeah, he can play first, third, the outfield. What are you going to get back from him? Obviously, it would ha- playoff team would be interested in his bat. I don't really know what they could get back from him because he is kind of like a one-trick pony on offense, but he's very versatile on defense. Next player, Starling Marte for the Miami Marlins. Uh, they acquired uh, The Marlins acquired Marte at the deadline last year, and they could just be looking to move on from him again because the Miami Marlins just aren't quite there yet. He's 32 years old, and he's currently on the IL, so when he comes back, could they look to be moving him? He's hitting 316 this year, which is nice, but is he really what the Marlins need right now, given their current state of uh, rebuilding, I guess? I mean, they've been rebuilding for a long time, but they made the playoffs last year. I mean, just about everybody did. 
I just I feel like they can get maybe a couple nice pieces for him and you know really look to get younger and look more towards the future. Last one I want to talk about is Eduardo Escobar of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, infielder, he has a lot of trade value, but he, it has kind of uh, dipped a little bit this year because he is 32. He's only hitting 226, slugging 460. If the Diamondbacks traded him in the offseason, they would have got a lot more, but now how the season is portraying, who knows? Who knows? But he's someone to definitely keep an eye on because the Diamondbacks, although they are uh, doing, they're not doing fairly well. They they were pretty solid last year, so it'd be interesting to see what they do. Where did the Diamondbacks finish last year? Oh no, they sucked last year. Well, yeah, they did they did fairly well recently. Okay, it was two years ago. They did eighty five and seventy seven, finishing twenty one games back in the in the West because the Dodgers won one hundred and six games. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. Those are just some couple names up there. A team is definitely going to be in the market for um, Escobar because he is a versatile infielder. He's um, a veteran player. He's you know not going to demand a lot of money, and he can he known to hit fairly well. But we'll just have to wait and see on that. And it's still early. And oh, and he's going to be a free agent this offseason, so a team would only be getting him for a rental. It's still early, not even in June yet. But I do want to just scrape the surface of potential trade rumors we have are expected to see as the trading season starts to heat up as the weather does as the summer starts to heat up as well we've already seen a trade in major league baseball between the tampa bay rays and the milwaukee brewers where the rays trade uh infielder willie adamas to the brewers in a four-player deal trevor richards is also going along with adamas to the brewers in exchange for drew ramsmusen and jp Ferraisen, I think I said that name wrong, but whatever. So the Brewers getting some uh, much-needed consistency at shortstop because Adamas is more of a shortstop than a versatile infielder, let's say. And hopefully that can help the Brewers make their push in their division because they're two games out behind the Cardinals for first place in the Central. So keep an eye on that as the first shoe has dropped in terms of trades for Major League Baseball. And really quickly, let's talk about the Red Sox. They uh, lost last night to the Atlanta Braves. They are currently a half a game back in first place. They're 29 and 20. The Rays are 20, uh, 30 and 20. Excuse me. Yankees just a game back from the Rays, so that division is starting to get tighter, starting to get closer. But you know, like I mentioned on when, uh, Monday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, this is what we expected. This is what we want, and this is where it's going to get good because. Yes, all three teams could theoretically make it to the playoffs, and if the season was to end today, all three of them would. But I don't know. I mean, the Red Sox were, you know, started cold, losing those first three games, and then they just shot right up. They just need to find some consistency. And overall, they are playing very consistent baseball, but they just need to start generating, you know, a nice long winning streak, like win 9 out of 11 or win... 16 out of 20 something like that that's what they really need to to get on and hopefully with kim and i going to the Sox game tonight we can be their good luck charm and i believe i believe what, what games did we go to earlier this season we kim and i went to one of the first games this year was it the first game i think it was the very yeah it was the first game at fenway and they scored their first runs and they got their first win with kim and i in attendance so hopefully we can bring some of that magic back and they can get a start a nice little winning streak here, beating the Braves. First pitch at 7-10. I forget where I'm sitting. I think I'm in center field. So look for me on TV when the Sox hit absolute moonshots to dead center, which hopefully will be a plethora. But guys, that's going to wrap up today's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Hopefully you enjoyed hump days, I mean Wednesday's edition of the show. I really thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And I hope that you have an excellent couple of days between now and Friday's episode. But before I go, I must remind you yet again, reach out to me on social media in regards to anything that we talked about, whether it was the A's potentially moving, a couple trade targets that you may think I missed or reasons why some of the targets that I said should not be potential trade targets. Also, the Celtics, we went big into the Celtics talking about the series against the Nets, Brad Stevens, you know, future with the team. I want to hear your thoughts about it as well. So like I said, reach out to me on social media 
at Murphs underscore Boston ST. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just comment down below as I would love to hear and read your comments. Like the video if you're watching on YouTube, if you don't, if you so wish. And also, please consider subscribing if you haven't done so already. Guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much. And between now and Friday's episode, you know that I appreciate and I love you. But I will see you.